Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Simplifying the Sod. This week's parasha is Ekev. I want to apologize uh, for posting so late. I actually had the class uh, recorded and then uh, we ran into some glitches in the recording. I tried to repair the glitches yesterday, but to no luck. And I, I then was going to re-record the class uh, alone uh, this morning and then post it. But I sometimes have this feeling that when I write something and it and it, and it disappears, or I record something and it doesn't work out, that Hashem in some way didn't want me to post uh, what I was thinking to post. So uh, I was thinking about that uh, last night uh, around 7.30 in the office, and I got uh, an email from Nathan Dweck. Uh, Nathan Dweck, uh, uh, he posts every week for us the uh, summary of the Perasha, which is part of the newsletter. And Nathan also posts a little thought on the Perasha with it, and lately he's been posting uh, separately uh, a uh, idea on summaries of Chobot Alevabot, uh, which uh, are quite nice. If anybody's interested in getting them, they can send me an email and I'll send it to Nathan to add you to his list. So in this week, in this week, uh, what he posted last night, it got me thinking. He posted Pasuk uh, that he says is one of the foundational Pesukim in Parshat Ekev. And... Uh, I read it and I, I started thinking about that pasuk and I said, you know, really, there's so much amazing things within this pasuk itself. The pasuk is from, uh, obviously, this week's parasha. It's chapter 8, pasuk 16. And the pasuk uh, reads as follows. Hama'achilcha man bamidbar, asher lo yad'un avotecha. Hashem who fed you the man in the desert which your forefathers never knew. Then it says something very strange. Leman anotcha, in order to make you suffer. Uman nasotecha, and in order to test you. Lehetivcha be'acharicha, that it will be to your benefit in the end. I found it very interesting. So the man which we know, B'nai Israel was given man in the desert. The man came and fell every day for the, for, the, for the duration of the 40 years. And the Pasuk here is telling us that the man in some way was a, caused them to suffer and was a test. But a test, in a way, is to give us a benefit in the end. So I was looking at the various commentaries and the Rabbeinu Bachya, he says, in order to afflict you, he says, all the tedium the people experienced during their trek in the desert was designed to subject them to a test to get them used to deal with such phenomena and to strengthen their faith when they would emerge from these tests each time. He says that faith, that emunah bitachon in Hashem, had to be instilled in them until it becomes, in a way, second nature. Now, the question is, why is the, the, the Torah describing the man as, as, as uh, anotcha, why is it as you're suffering, affliction? So Rabbeinu Bachia continues and he says that when a person... You know, my, I, I think about my dad. My dad always used to tell us not to worry about work because he says every day Hashem's going to send you the man. Don't worry about tomorrow. 
But to not worry about tomorrow is an incredible, incredible aspect of faith. And the way we learned that faith was through the man. So Rabbeinu Bachiyah, says the reason why the Torah describes a people being fed man from heaven as suffering, you would imagine, it's the opposite. I go out every day, everything I need is there. Everything I want it to taste like, it tastes like. It's perfect nourishment. What more can I want? But he says when a person does not have food supply for a number of days ahead, he's considered as enduring affliction. It's the nature of human beings to worry what's there going to be for tomorrow. And remember, the man only lasted for that day. If you took too little, there was enough. If you took too much and you tried to store it and hold it for the next day, it would rot. The only day that miraculously the man lasted for a second day was when they went out on Shabbat and they got a double portion of the man. And that man lasted for Friday and also throughout Shabbat. But for a person to collect the man and not know that they're going to have something tomorrow, it's, 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 it says Rabbi Nubachia, this is what gives a person an affliction. The fact that the supply of, of man was only sufficient for a day at a time, and the people had to depend on the goodwill of Hashem on a daily basis was a serious discomfort. Even the eating of such a limited food supply makes one conscious that there is nothing left when one concludes his meal, a fact which lessens the enjoyment, he says, psychologically. He says it's similar to a person who can't see what they eat. They don't enjoy it as much. They're missing some, some sense of peace of mind. We also see that the rabbi said, because the man was the man, it didn't look like, even though it could taste like what you wanted if you were worthy, the people still wanted the, 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 the chewiness of, of what they referred to when, when, they were, when they were complaining. It's interesting also that the, the emek, HaEmek Davar, he, he says that Leman the order, he says this is, 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 is causing you pain, causing you suffering. He says that from here though, that it will ultimately benefit you. What does it mean that it's going to ultimately benefit you? He says it's going to give benefit to you. Rather, it means to make you good. He says this is really something that's going to make you grow. It's going to give you an ability to survive in all other terms. And I think really it's this idea of learning faith. The, the, the Sephorno goes on, he says, so that you're going to keep his commandments out of a sense of poverty as do people with no bread. He says, what does that mean? He says that sometimes when you're lacking, you have this greater connection, you're, you have a greater bond to Hashem. But also he says that you're going to see that Hashem's going to give you your livelihood without your having to perform backbreaking labor. That is if you perform the words of the Torah. So, so much of this has to do with this aspect of faith, but there's an aspect of the tests that Hashem gives us are there in order to make us greater and in fact, are tremendous, tremendous reward for us. You see that, that the, the person who eats and he's, he's full, there's an aspect of that guy seeing he has so much, and all of a sudden he sees he has so much, and he says, he says he thinks that this is all from him. He loses his relationship with Hashem. So we're seeing that, that many of the commentators are explaining that this whole idea is to strengthen our relationship with Hashem. And that's crucial 
that we that we we strengthen that relationship with Hashem. The one more, the Torah Temima writes. He writes, "Mahu leman anotcha, Rabbi Amad ve'Rabbi Asi." He's quoting from from the Gemara Yoma. He says, "One says, Some, he's, and this is goes back to the idea that Rabbi Nubakia. He says that someone who has bread in his basket is not compared to someone who doesn't have bread in his basket." He says, the one who can see his food, it's not the same as the one who cannot see his food. And this is the Gemara is bringing and showing that, yeah, the man was a tremendous, tremendous blessing, but we had to overcome the perceived negativities in the man. We had to overcome our own, our own fears, our own fears that is it going to be there tomorrow. And I think that this whole idea, like the Torah, like they're saying, is that this gives us strength, this gives us belief. I, I heard an amazing, an amazing story uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I, I shared it on, on Shabbat, and I'd like to share it with all of you. Uh, there was a, a young man, he finished high school, and he went to get a job, and he was given a job in one of the, the buildings on 47th Street in the diamond, uh, the diamond industry, and he was going to work for a company, and he was going to be you know, the low man on the totem pole. He was going to be the gopher. He would be the guy who would go get coffee for everybody. He would be the guy to get lunch. He would be the guy to uh, bring packages from here and there. He would be the guy to make the deliveries. And that was his life. And low man on the totem pole, low man on the pay scale. But he was doing his job and he doing his job every day. A few months in, he's walking down. Instead of taking the elevator, he goes down the steps. And as he's going down the steps, he sees in the corner a little uh, folded piece of uh, wax paper, looks like. And he recognizes that uh, people would keep their diamonds in these folded, each diamond separately often. And he goes down and he picks it up and he sees inside a huge diamond. And he looks and nobody's there. Somebody dropped his diamond. (coughs) Who's going to know who's dropped the diamond? Maybe he keeps the diamond. So he's thinking, what do I do with the diamond? You know, maybe, maybe Hashem sent me down the, the stairs instead of taking the elevator so that it should be worthy to be able to find this diamond. And uh, he goes back home and uh, he's thinking about the diamond. He goes to a, a diamond person he knows in, in Queens and he shows him the diamond and he says to him, what do you think this is worth? And the guy tells him, listen, this diamond is worth a lot of money. This diamond is probably worth more than you're going to earn in the job you're in now for the next 30 years. Be very careful with this diamond. And he's thinking, what should he do? He asks his friend. His friend says, you know, of course, you should keep the diamond, sell the diamond, and go into business. You have enough money to start a business. Hashem's giving you a gift. And as he's thinking about it, he thinks, you know, is Hashem giving me a gift or Hashem giving me a test? Because the diamond obviously has simani. It's not like finding a dollar bill in the street that no one's going to know whose dollar bill it was and the person who lost it is no, no feeling of ever finding it. This diamond, someone's going to be able to identify the diamond they lost. And he says, you know, I have to do the right thing. So what does he do? He posts in the lobby of the building, diamond found in stairwell on such and such date. And see if anyone knows what it was, exactly what it was, they come to him. Well, later that, that day, an older man from the building, he runs a diamond dealership, comes to him and says, perhaps it was my diamond that you found because I lost the diamond that day. And he tells him the diamond was 5.2 carats, the diamond was round, 
the diamond had a clarity of E, the diamond had a V, V, very small V, V, VS1, whatever, one small uh, scratch inside of it. It was almost a perfect, perfect diamond in that size, was worth a fortune. And the young man says, that's the diamond I found. And he gives it back to the man. And the older man says, you know, I'm a very wealthy guy. And I have a company with, with a vault full of diamonds. But I don't know if I would have had the strength to return a diamond like this if I had found it. And he tells them, thank you very much. And uh, the young man goes home and he tells his friend, you know, I found the guy, the guy got his diamond. He says, okay, what'd you get? He goes, uh, I didn't get anything. He goes, well, what do you mean you didn't get anything? I, I told you, what if well, you should have kept the diamond, you should have sold the diamond. Nobody would have ever known and that would have been it. You would have had a business. Crazy. And so the next day he goes back to work and he's in his office and this older man comes to him again and he says, listen, can we go out to lunch? I want to talk. And so he says, of course, and they go out to lunch and they sit at a little table in the back and he tells him, you know, I, I have to tell you all night long I was thinking how impressed I was that someone could be so honest and such a straight person that they would find such a diamond that they could easily have gotten rid of and return it to the owner. I've been looking for uh, an assistant, a personal assistant to work with me in my business. But the key is I need someone that I could trust implicitly. And you've proven yourself. So I want you to come work for me. I'm gonna give you a very good salary. And you'll learn everything about the diamond business. I've been doing this for so many years. My father did this before me. You'll learn a lot about the diamond business. And so the young man was thrilled and he said, thank you very much. And he agreed he's going to come to work for him. And he went home and he told his friend, you see, the guy gave me a job. He goes, hey, you got a job, but you could have got 30 years worth of money. And so the, the, the young man goes to work as his personal assistant. And he's really a good worker. He's a bright guy. He learns the business. He's just there for him whenever he needs him. And he grows in the business with him. And he gives him a raise every, every year. And after two years, the older man tells him, you know, I've been working with you these two years closer than with anybody else. You've been with me, you've been there for me every minute on anything that I needed. And I see your midot, I see your character. It's so much more than the honesty that, that got me to hire you in the first place. He said, I have my youngest daughter. She's at age where she's going to start to go out to get married. Before she goes out with anyone, I want to know, maybe you'll go out with her. Maybe you could work it out. Maybe I would love to have you as a son-in-law. I have you as a son now. I want to have you as a son and a son-in-law to be my son. And so he went out with the daughter and they hit everything off. And a few months later, they got engaged and then they got married. And this guy... In the end, got everything he would have ever dreamed of having in this world. But he faced a tremendous test. The tremendous test definitely caused him tremendous suffering. His friend told him, listen, what if, what if? He had to be thinking about that. And then you see that through the test, 
So I go back to what Nathan wrote. He wrote, The afflictions we experience are to test us in order that Hashem can give us good in the end. Hashem wants to see how we react when things are not going smoothly. Hashem wants to reward us and thus He puts us in a position to earn greater reward. Hashem is telling us how He operates and, and we must never forget this. And he concludes that every challenge we face is uniquely designed by Hashem to give us an opportunity to earn reward. It is the chesed of our loving creator. And I, I felt like such a, this pasuk is so powerful. And each of the pesukim in, in these parashiyot that Moshe is giving us, so much wisdom is in each of the pesukim that tell us that Hashem is there for us. Hashem is there to give us. Hashem is there to take care of us. Hashem is there for everything for us. And there's a sense in this parasha that a person has to act with, with some level of humility. You know, if we act with humility, we act with humility, we connect with Hashem. We can connect with the Torah. You know, Hashem, the main thing Hashem doesn't want is ga'ava. And one of the things that Moshe tells us is that in this parasha we have to be like Hashem. We have to be like Hashem in that aspect of humility. We see that uh, we have in this parasha also you ate, be satisfied, you blessed Hashem. One of the things the rabbis teach us when we, when we, when we sit down to eat bread is that we have to know that it's crucial to learn Torah when we eat bread, three people that are sitting together, if they don't learn Torah, it's as if they're eating at the, they're sitting at a, at a, at a, uh, at an altar of Abu Zarah. But when they learn Torah, they're learning Torah with Hashem with them. And it's very important when we do this when we're eating food. One of the things I always remember learning with the rabbi is he would talk about food. We need food to nourish us on a physical level. But there's a spiritual aspect of food which nourishes us on a spiritual level as well. And also I saw about the Shvile Pinchas, he brings, he brought many years ago, relating to Birkat Amazon, And he explains how this spiritual aspect of the food passes through us on a level of the, of the soul within a man. We've discussed before that there's three levels of soul. There's nefesh, there's ruach, and there's neshama. Nefesh is the, the, most, the, most, the lowest level of the soul. The ruach is the spirit, the highest. And the highest, highest level is the neshama. Now, the rabbis associate each of these with a part of the body. The rabbis explained to us that the lowest level of the soul, the nefesh, it dwells within the liver. The more spiritual ruach dwells within the heart. And the most spiritual of all, the neshama, dwells within the brain. And what we would learn is when a person eats, the, the spiritual level of the food first passes through the liver, the residence of the, of the nefesh. And there it receives the food first for processing and purification. It, ne it next sends after it purified to at a higher level of purification, it sends it to the heart, 
the heart is the residence of the Ruach, and the heart processes and purifies the food even further, and from it selects a fraction of the highest quality spiritual level of this food, and passes it on to the brain, which is the Neshama. One of the things the rabbis teach us is that those who ate man in the desert, and we're talking about man in the beginning, those who ate man in the desert, this is bread that fell from the sky. It says that the Torah was given and only could be learned by those who were in the desert. The, the, uh, the Mechilta tells us, Lo nitna Torah lidrosh ela man. Says that the Torah was not given to to completely to understand to 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 delve from only to those people who ate the man and why? Because the man was a pure spiritual, pure pure spiritual food, pure spiritual food. And the interesting thing is when the man came into a person, the man came into a person in the reverse because it was completely endowed with spirituality. So it could go first from the moach, from the brain. The next it would go into is the lev, the heart. And finally it would go into the kaved, the, uh, the liver. And that would be the different levels of the soul. And it's important that when we think of that, that these levels of the, of the soul, the moach, the lev, the kaved, that's the order from above to below. The order from below to above would be the, the, the way we normally eat food. It's interesting that we relate Torah to learning Torah to similar to being to the man. And the person who's learning Torah, the spirituality of the Torah is like food. And that food, you know, the, the Torah tells us not by bread alone does man, does man live. The Torah itself gives us a spiritual nourishment that will enter us and fill us. And when the Torah comes and gives us this food, the Torah is giving it in that same way. It's entering the moach, it's going to the lev, and finally settling within the kavit. It's interesting that when Bil'am Harasha came to curse B'nai Israel, he was only going to be able to curse them with one word in a brief fraction of a second that they said Hashem was getting, getting angry. And the, the word that, that Bil'am was going to use was the word kalem. Kalem means to destroy them. But what is the, the idea behind this word kalem? And it says that Hashem transformed the order of kalem from the chaf, lamid mem, to the reverse, to melech, to the reverse. So we see that the rabbis explain and clarify Tosvot. He says that man's, this is from the rabbi of Rojnin, this is quoted by the Shvilei Pinchas. He says that man's mission in this world is to increase the dominion of the brain and its intelligence over the whims and the desires of the heart and subjugate them in the service of Hashem. By doing so, the heart will resist the harmful influences of the animalistic part of the soul, the nefesh. And he goes on, he says, the brain and intelligence, when they reign successfully over the heart, they guide the actions. So really we have the desires, we could say the, the, the physical desires in some way are rooted in the, this, the, 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 the liver. 
and the the other desires are rooted in the heart. So when we go from the bottom up, we're governed by our desires, and then finally it goes to the brain. But the key is to have the brain rule over all of those things. So Bil'am's intent was to reverse the proper chain of command. The proper chain of command should be the moach, the brain telling us exactly what we need to do. But he wanted it to be controlled by the bottom up. He wanted the kaved, the liver, to be the most. He wanted the animalistic nefesh residing in the liver who would rule over the desires of the heart and that would awaken the physical and materialistic goals and priorities of a person and then enlisting the brain to devise schemes to fulfill those desires. Tosfot points out that Hashem confounded the plan of Bil'am. He transformed Kalem into Melech and he reversed the whole thing. And this teaches us a huge lesson in our battle with the Yetzir Hara. The Yetzir is going to employ all the powers of the body to get us to do. It's going to start with the Nefesh. It wants the Nefesh to reign over the Ruach. And that will in turn control the Neshama. But when we learn Torah, and that's why we understand the rabbis tell us, Banai, I created, Barati, I created Yetzir Hara. Ubarati, and I created a Torah as an antidote. When we have the Torah, the Torah resembles the man, and that comes from the brain down. And that will help a person to better control himself and to better control his actions because it's coming from the top, from the brain, down into the, net, into the, the heart and then into the, the, uh, the desire. So you're going to control a person going to be able to control their desires. One of the other things that we see here is the, the power of humility. Where Hashem says, where Moshe is saying, you should be like Hashem, you should have this power of humility. The, the ga'ava is what drives, the ga'ava is what drives the, the, the passion. The ga'ava is what tells us, you know, you, should, you could be jealous of what someone has. You should have more. You deserve more. You are greater. Don't you know who I am? All of this comes from the ga'ava. But the same way we have a test with everything, we have tremendous tests with the ga'ava. And I want to close uh, with this one, one short story I heard, you know, if, if, you, if you have a book to read now as we, we're going to come into Elul, during Elul, you should read the, the biography of Rabbi Yisrael Meir Lau. Rabbi Lau was the chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael. He's the father of the current chief rabbi. And his story is amazing. He survived the Holocaust, one of the youngest people to survive the Holocaust. He was a young boy. His brother hid him in a bag. And, and the, the, the story of how he survives and the story of how he moves from, from, uh, from the Holocaust into France and finally comes to Eretz Israel and his desire to learn and reawakening learning is, is a tremendous strength to anybody who reads it. But I heard a story also recently, and this story was, was something, really something amazing. Rabbi Lau was giving a, a class to Bar Mitzvah boys during COVID. Now, it was interesting that during COVID, we had the disadvantage of not being able to learn in close quarters, one-on-one, in small groups. But we discovered this new world of Zoom. 
And in this new world of Zoom, and one day is going to be in this new world of, uh, of, uh, of putting on these, these, uh, these glasses that take us into a virtual reality, we're going to be able to sit thousands of us with one person who's literally going to be teaching us as if he's there and we're there in this room. But there's a story that uh, Rav Lau was teaching a Zoom class to hundreds and hundreds of bar mitzvah boys throughout the country. And uh, he told them his own personal bar mitzvah story. He said, you know, he grew up, he was an orphan. All he had was his older brother, his brother Naftali. He became a big guy in the government. And uh, he, he had a direction he wanted to go. His direction he was learning, was doing his best. And his bar mitzvah came. And it was during the summer, the parsha was Shelach, it was the early summer, and uh, he was going to read in the synagogue. It was his, his bar mitzvah, he was going to read the parasha. And this synagogue didn't have a lot of people that came each Shabbat, but now this young boy who was a Holocaust survivor, who, whose story was, was becoming somewhat known and whatever relatives he had, whatever people wanted to be there, they came to the synagogue, they completely filled the synagogue in honor of this young boy's bar mitzvah to give him chizuk, to give him strength, to give him some level of kavod, to be there with him for his bar mitzvah. And so he was going to read the Torah, and they finish the, uh, the chazarat hashas, they finish the repetition of the Amidah, they open the Aaron, they take out the Torah, they put the Torah on the stand, and the... Regular Torah reader, his name was Moshe, he had been with the synagogue for many, many years, a simple guy, he had really nothing in his life. This was his life, to read the Torah. And he came up to read, and the Gabbai says, no, no, Moshe, Moshe, hayom bar mitzvah. today we have a bar mitzvah, the bar mitzvah boy is going to read. And Moshe says, well, you didn't tell me, you didn't tell me I'm not going to read. I'm preparing the whole week to perasha like I prepare every week. Now you tell me after I prepared a whole week that I'm not going to read today. He says, listen, it's a bar mitzvah boy. Relax, don't worry. You'll read next week. He goes, no, but I prepared. Why don't you tell me? He goes, the guy says, you know what? Moshe, you're 100% right. I'm so sorry. I should have told you last week that we have a bar mitzvah this Sunday, this Shabbat. I should have told you last Sunday. But I apologize. I made a mistake. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. But give the kavod to the bar mitzvah boy. Let him read. And Moshe looks around. He says, but look at this place. Every week I read here. There's nobody here. This week, look. There's not an open seat in the house. Everybody's here to hear me read. And the Gabbai says, no, Moshe, they're here to hear the Bar Mitzvah boy read. He goes, but I never get kavod. Look at the kavod of all these people coming to hear how beautiful I could read. I need the honor to be able to read. And the Gabbai is losing it and telling him, Moshe, it's a bar mitzvah. Enough. Stop. And Rav Lau is standing on the corner, little 13-year-old boy. Little 13-year-old boy. And he comes up to the Gabbai and he says, you know what? I didn't study the perashah very well. I don't know it so well. Do me a favor. Maybe Moshe could read. And I'll go up for an aliyah. Don't worry about it. And the Gabbai looks at him and says, no, but the kavod is here for you, for the people to hear you. And he says, perhaps Hashem will give me 
one day the kavod that some people will come and listen to me. But for now, let's let Moshe read. And Rav Lau told these children, he says, you know, that day I became Bar Mitzvah. And when I became Bar Mitzvah, I became obligated in the mitzvot. And my first mitzvah that I would do would be to do this, to be able to give honor to some older person. He says that when a person creates unity, they never lose. He said to them, you have to understand something. Although that day was by my mitzvah, and I prepared so much to read that day, I faced a test, and I didn't have the opportunity to read that day in public. I didn't have the opportunity to stand that day in public and to be, to be recognized by the people. He said, but Hashem has given me the opportunity in my life to speak again and again for literally every congregation in the world. Hashem puts us through a test the test we never know, but the tests come every single day. And sometimes we don't see the reward for the test, but there's a reward for every test. And so many of those, those rewards are within us to make us better people. Hashem loves us. He only does wonderful things for us. Hashem gives us negative things to deal with to make us grow. But he also gives us the solutions in advance. We have to remember. We have to have bitachon in Hashem. We have to have emunah. We have to have trust. We have to have faith. We have to have humility and recognize our place. And most important, we have to connect to the Torah. Because while bread nourishes us and we're commanded to say, it's the Torah which nourishes us from a spiritual level and allows the food that we eat to draw out the spirituality in the food. May we all learn these lessons. May we all make the world a greater place. May we all receive the abundant blessings and may Hashem bring Mashiach. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Thanks for joining us. See you next week.